we don't believe as some people do that you isolate what goes on in your personal life from what goes on in your business life. No, I agree. Carries over into the other back and forth. So if you're having struggles over here in your personal life, we need to know if we can help you there. Um, if the business is carrying over there, we need to help you with some balance. So it's connected. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes we'll, I have a, company that does counseling and we'll refer them out and pay for their counseling if they're having marital issues or whatever, you know? And so that is just the way we do things and it costs money, but I, I, we care about people first. You know, we, we definitely want to be viable. We have to be viable, but people matter. And that has to translate into our actions and what we do and how we treat people. Hi, and welcome to Building Perspective with Matt Riley and Molly Elfman. We're here to bring value to you and your team by exploring all things sales and marketing related. All from different perspectives. All right, and uh, we are super excited to have our guests with us today. Um, We have Greg and Missy Manuel of Manual Builders out in Louisiana. And today we're talking about a culture of empowerment and how we get there and how a culture of empowerment can really set you up for success in any type of environment whatsoever. So Greg and Missy, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. And uh, why don't you tell our, the audience, our industry really, if they haven't heard about you guys or you haven't met you um, a little bit about yourselves, because I know that, that we were introduced from a mutual friend, Chad Sanchigran, and I've been nothing but impressed by the things that you guys have done and continue to do and kind of taking over your part of the world down there. And uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about you guys first, and then we can dive into the, dive into the, t- the chat. Okay. Well, a real brief history of our company would be that my dad started in 1963. So that puts us, what, 57 years into it. I took over in 85. We had a real serious recession here when oil hit $10 a barrel, if you can imagine. that. Mm. Then. Um, and then since then, um, it's been a real gradual. Of course, we had a setback in 07, 08, like everybody else. Um, our depressions, recessions tend to go a little bit differently. But So over that time, uh, it's been a gradual build. Missy came on to help out when we started to ramp back up in 09, uh, so we wouldn't have to hire additional staff. And she was a counselor at the time, recognized that we had a lot of dysfunction in, in our business, uh, as you can imagine, in the construction industry. So um, she began to push into that a little, press into that a little bit, as far as um, what, our, what, what would an organizational health our organizational healthy company looked like. Um, and then I think on the scene at the time, some of the bigger corporations were um, using Pat Lencioni and the likes of, of those great leadership teachers. Um, well, yeah. and a, more about our company. We have two sides of our company. We have a residential on your 
like a speculative side and a custom on your lot side. So we have those two divisions. Um, and now, a, now we have a commercial, yeah. but um, I came in not knowing anything about construction, but I knew a little bit about emotional health and um, healthy actions and noticed some things weren't lining up and so began to push around which caused a lot of issues for us um and so it started that way just kind of blowing up the company in a sense to rebuild it and oftentimes you know we have to deconstruct to reconstruct and so that's kind of how we did it um just began slow and you know our our number I guess our two biggest issues which are common in companies were lack of trust and lack of communication. So we started there um, and since then have built a system of growing people um, and just maintaining a culture of health and wellness. Yeah. And coming out of that, that recession of 07 to 09, um, when, when that hit, you know, uh, I think I made the statement, we want all ideas at the table. Uh, it's not going to come from the top. It's going to come from everybody. Um, we, we don't, we don't own pack. So from that time on, we started looking into this lattice work type leadership where um, you, you, everybody has a voice. Um, a, lot of, a lot of brains put together and we, we get to work with some really smart people. Um, smarter than I am, that's for sure. And um, I think over time, everybody gets that, that everybody has a voice. We want to hear. Not all ideas will get used, but it, it really expands our ability uh, to make decisions. We have a lot to filter through, but uh, we, people in the field will think of things we never see from, from a desk. So that kind of started back then, and I think we've built on that as part of the empowerment uh, process. Missy? You, you said something, Missy, or, or uh, Missy, I think you said this. Um, and there, and there's, there's a couple of things that intrigued me that I, one I wasn't aware of because you said you were, uh, Greg said that you could, you come on as you were a counselor before. So right. was that, were you in the education system as a counselor, like a school counselor? No, I was doing mental health counseling mental health. Okay. for women and marriage. And um, I came from there using an office in our residential construction business, go figure. Um, and it didn't really, you know, that office was not conducive to counseling. So I ended up just kind of throwing that aside because we were ramping up. Like he said, it was when we were beginning to get a little bit busier after the 2008 recession yeah. and I just began to help out and noticed the lack of um, definitely lack of empowerment and leadership um, there. And so then we just began to work in that, in that lane, I guess, um, yeah. being leadership, like I said, trust and communication. That's kind of where we started with Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team and kind of jumped off there. Such a great book. Yeah. And so, you know, we, today our company looks nothing like it did before. We didn't have any structure of leadership. Um, we had people in positions um, 
a lot of people were crossing over. Um, they weren't communicating. One person was running a lot of things and nobody knew what she was doing. And so it just led to some really crazy stuff. And so um, we just began to slowly work on the company and grow together. Um, now we have a system of growing each individual in our company, um, you know, through one-on-ones every month, you know, just looking at their key areas and personal growth goals. Um, and so we monitor it that way. Um, but I mean, again, it's a, it's a structure that we've built over time. It wasn't like we knew going in what I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I was doing other than seeing was not right. Um, How did it feel like being real now? How did it feel when, when Missy kind of came in and had some different ideas of, and observations about how things were going? Where did you buy in right away or was there a little bit of a struggle? (laughs) <laughs> oh, she was swimming in mud. Um, we had. I'm a family business too. I mean, we, you know, I'm a numbers guy. And, you know, that to me, that's where it added up. We kind of started from the bottom line backwards, but that's not the way it works now. Um, the way it works now is we figure if people are equipped, if they're happy, if they're healthy, they'll be more productive. And you don't have to worry about the bottom line. It happens. Um, but he was not on board. Molly. I would know. I was. I, I, I had a feeling. I thought no, it was like this. I don't know about this touchy feeling. Nobody stuff. was <laughs> on board, and they just kind of tolerated my groups of leadership. Um, and if anything came in that you know, was not convenient for what the schedule was, it was thrown off the calendar. Um, so it was swimming through mud. And, you know, what I tell companies today is it took me a lot longer than it can take you because leadership was not on board. I was pioneering this new land that nobody believed in other than, you know, the Pat Lencioni's and the, you know, Fortune 500 companies were doing some of it. But at that time, it was it was not, I mean, they were just frowning upon, like I was this unicorn, you know? Um, so it's, we've come a long way, but it's been a long 12 years. Well, now it's a great thing to be a unicorn. So there you go. Right. <laughs> well, so you, you mentioned something, this is part of the follow-up to my original question was, cause you said, you know, you want to build um, an organization, a culture of health and wellness you know, we, I think it's easy to relate what health and wellness looks like at an individual status, right? As me as a human, maybe, maybe that's easy for some, maybe it's not for others, but from a company culture perspective, what does health and wellness mean from a company's perspective? Well, you know, it starts with emotional health, being able to resolve conflict, not running away from conflict, um, willing to be vulnerable with what you need, with what's not going right, um, bringing out your ideas. Um, All of that is healthy. If I am feeling something, whether it's, you know, I just had an interaction with our CEO, and I feel like there was something off about that conversation, it's circling back and navigating that, um, the weirdness of that conversation or whatever, and really talking about it. Um, And we really, our DNA, we have core values of integrity, excellence, and community. 
And those were always there, but no one knew what they were and didn't know how to walk them out. So, you know, I came to the conclusion that in order to really get the DNA worked throughout the whole company, what I had to do was teach on what integrity meant to Greg and I, which is not just building a structure right. It was doing everything right, as right as we could in a healthy way, in a human way, in a uh, emotional, intelligent way. Um, and so, you know, we began to detail out, I did like a six week course, you know, was used to these groups. And so taught what integrity meant. It, it's me, it means wholeness. It means in, integer is a whole number. It means wholeness. And so detailed everything that cons, was considered wholeness in addition to doing something right and with integrity. Um, and then we detailed behaviors that we wanted done under each core value so that they knew how to walk it out and then really equip them that they were no longer, and this is a Ramsey, Dave Ramsey uh, topic, but they are no longer consumers of a good culture. They are producers of this culture. So they have to prune what's not of our culture and they have to water or encourage those behaviors that are. And so it just gave us a structure and it was easier to, to hold each other accountable and encourage each other in that, in that culture. And so that's just made it really easy to, well, I say easy, it's made it easier to just get buy-in and then walk together in the same way. Yeah. I, I have to stop there because that is, I've never heard anyone say it that way. And it is so relevant they're not consumers of a good culture. They are producers of a good culture. And to me, that is just, it's really fascinating because in the business world in general, it's always about, you know, what are the benefits or what's it like there as if it's a given that it's just going to be a great culture without necessarily the work going into making. Right. I, I really think well, that's a, the thing of where you talk about some people, not some, a lot of people, and they come into a company, they, a lot of times the assumption is it's my employer's job to make me happy, right? Mm -hmm. And to make this a good work environment. Um, but in reality, it, what's the employer's job is to put the structure in place where you can make yourself happy and then also feel fulfilled by all the people around you also being happy within that structure uh, right. it, and it's now your own responsibility for your own happiness because that's in place right. already. Well, and onboarding in that way, but also it's our responsibility to hire a, a person that will fit our culture. It would, it would not be um, good for me to just bring in anybody, which is what we used to do. It's like, can you do the job? Yes, come on in. So now we have a whole system of really vetting you know, do you fit? Are you going to even be happy here? Can you, can you gel with this culture? And if so, then they do become a producer. Um, it is their job, but <clears throat> it is our responsibility first to bring them in those people that fit our culture. Yeah. I would imagine you took a lot of this information and conversations that you guys were having and put it on paper. Yes. And I also would imagine that that had never been done before. Is that no. right? 
No, could not. that's correct. Uh, one of the big rocks um, in the beginning, you asked what what is what does organizational health look like? We experienced, and I think uh, Matt, we might have mentioned this in an earlier conversation, was was silos, uh, where you had groups of people, departments, or whatever, uh, that were reluctant to own a failure and quick to pass it on to someone else. And we had to break down those silos and say, hey, you need to own your failure and learn from it. And it's okay because we all do that. So Well, and not pass on. The silo effect is when if I'm in sales, I just do whatever I can do to sell a house and then I throw it over to production and let them figure it out. And so breaking down those walls is just great communication, cascading communication throughout the whole company so that everybody is responsible for everything that happens. It's not like, you know, sales is in this little compartment and they just do whatever sales needs to do to survive. It's the whole company. And how do we thrive as a team and how do I do my job so that then the next, that next person in line isn't, you know, struggling with the decision I made in my department. So it's, it's a team view versus a department view or, or an individual view. Yeah. Setting up the next person for success. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, right. but I feel like we um, we have momentum right now, which is super nice because everything looks better than it you know than it is when it's moment good momentum. Yeah. Um, but it, I think most people really enjoy coming to work. And Greg did not; he wanted to quit. Oh, he hated construction. He, he thought it was such a stressor. I mean, he had the burden of everything. He had no leadership developed. So there was no layers to, to carry some of the load. And so he hated it. And now he loves it, you know, because we do have some layers of leadership. Um, we need more as we grow. But, and, and we focus a lot on just healthy behavior. Um, so it is different. I think people now we're getting top talent and people want to work with us. Um, so that's almost the culture driving some of the people wanting to work for us, which is really cool. Yeah. How many people are on your team? We have 50, 50 55 something. to 60 something. So what does this look like in the hiring process? Well, we start with, um, of course, just advertising, but um, we start with a pre-interview questionnaire, which has helped tremendously um, with the culture piece because we have questions just, you know, if you can't answer these questions, you probably won't fit in this culture. And so that's and they, that first they have, step. That, they have nothing to do with skill set. The skill set, we look at a resume, okay. Well, but, that gets you a pre-interview questionnaire. Right. So once you you answer that and we feel like you're a fit, then we have a series of interviews. My interview is the last one, which is all about culture. So um, that's kind of how we do that. Well, virtual was, was a big deal, big help for us. You talked about going into the pandemic. How did we get there? I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that a little. Yes, Greg, I do want to get to because, and I, and I want to get to that in just a second because um, I, we want to talk about what you've seen. Like, what are the, 
what are the payoffs of focusing on developing that culture? But uh, Missy, when you were talking earlier, you're talking about making sure we've got the right people on the team. To me, I don't know if you saw me on camera, but I turned to look because I've got a, a Jim Collins, a co well, a couple Jim Collins books on the back, good to great and great, but great as a choice or great by choice. Right. And one of the things he talks about a lot is making sure you get the right people on the bus. Then you figure out what seat they belong in. Mm -hmm. But the core part of that is making sure that the right human being is on the bus as a whole. Because sometimes right. you can hire the right person, put them in the wrong seat. Exactly. And they're flailing, and, but it's because they're in the wrong role. But right. from an integrity perspective and the way that they mesh with the culture, they're in the right room. They're just right. in the wrong seat in the room. You got to right. find the right spot. Do you feel like you guys really... We definitely, I call it playing chess instead of checkers. Um, we, we may hire them in one position and move them to where they fit once we get to see, you know, their gifts and their talents and where they really shine and what, what energizes them. And so we have done a lot of that, you know, um, moving people to the best spot. And that only comes when you are seeing your people and you're, you're, you're knowing your people and you're watching what, where they shine and where they don't. And you're really intentional about um, wanting the best for them. And so those one-on-ones monthly help us to just really have a, at least an hour a month focusing on just that person and the, the things that have come through the month, you know, is it, telling me anything that I need to be aware of to move them maybe to somewhere yeah. either in the future, you know, future leadership, or they're just totally not in the right seat of the bus. Every you have to pause there. You meet with every person for an hour each month? I don't. They roll up to their leader. I see. In that okay. department. I, like, I, <laughs> I used to, I tried that and it, it I've tried many things. Um, yeah. Through, through the years, but um, at this point, I've trained the leaders to be able to identify and really work with their people. And so each leader might work with, you know, four or five, or I don't know, some have more, but they, they are to have one-on-ones once per month. And, you know, we have a format for it. Um, but and we yeah. have, and everyone has been disc tested. So we understand their bent. In fact, some people have a placard next to their door. This is how not to speak to me. This is how to speak to me. Communication do's and don'ts. Yeah, yeah. I love it. It's so I'm, I'm going to guess what, Greg, what's your disc profile? D. High D? High D. And Missy, you're what, a high I? D-I. Okay. My, I'm a, I look like a reverse check mark. Like <laughs> the D can't be any higher. And then the eyes do a little bit down the thing and the rest of it's like, what? So my empathy level is like so low and I have, so what that means for me is I know that I have to overcompensate for that mm -hmm. and, yeah. and make sure I circle back around to feel like I, so I don't look like an ass. <laughs> right. Yeah. Matt, you, well, and I, you and I are in the same profile. Yeah. And the, it's the art and science of knowing people, whether that's your customer or your people that are working for you. You know, I mean, that now they know, you know, 
whenever customers are coming in, they're kind of typing them too, because they know the disc profile, they know we've taught them that. And so they know that, you know, Matt, you come in to buy a house, you're not going to want to get very granular, you're going to want to hit the bullet points and just the bottom line. And so, you know, just that information translates to the customer too. And so we have seen tremendous profits, um, despite all the time we we take to grow people, you know, and I think from in the beginning, it was like, this is taking time away from us making money. Now we see it as this is helping us make money. Absolutely. Mm, I love it. Sure. We have a lot of leaders who listen. So can you give me just a couple examples or of what they would talk about in those one-on-ones or what they could use to cultivate that conversation in those one-on-ones? Like, do you have, you know, a sheet of questions they go through. Can you just give us a little more there? Well, I mean, our one-on-one sheets, definitely we look, we're looking at those KPIs, those key performance indicators, you know, and how they're doing in those buckets of activities. But it's like, how are you doing on a scale of one to 10? And we, we're wanting to know more emotionally, like, how are you doing? Uh, and the pandemic helped too, I think, to humanize work a lot more and make it more acceptable because we always did that. But some of our leaders were a little bit more reluctant to talk about the, the emotional side, you know? And so that is a piece of it. Um, and just really what worked, what didn't, how are you doing? What do you need? How do I support you? Um, and then, you know, looking at growth areas in those different areas, maybe even some of them have personal goals that we're checking on too during that meeting, um, well, understand, too, that we don't believe, as some people do, that you isolate what goes on in your personal life from what goes on in your business life. No. I agree. It carries over into the other, back and forth. So if you're having struggles over here in your personal life, we need to know if we can help you there. Um, if the business is carrying over there, we need to help you with some balance. So it's connected. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes we'll I have a company that does counseling and we'll refer them out and pay for their counseling if they're having marital issues or whatever, you know. And so that is just the way we do things and it costs money, but I, I, we care about people first. You know, we, we definitely want to be viable. We have to be viable, but people matter and that has to translate into our actions and what we do and how we treat people. And money comes, like Greg said. It must be interesting for you to see mental health become more and more of the conversation when it comes to business and relationships, because you were really doing this before that happened. Right. You know, now people are talking about mental health and culture much more, but you really already had this in place. So that's that's really interesting to me. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's, it's really neat to watch now and just, you know, I love that, you know, I posted something this morning, just our internal lives in leadership is so important. We have to navigate that or we will, we will tear down with our character, what we built with our competence. And so that foundation of in inner work is so important and the best leaders have a good, you know, emotional, internal, whether it's, you know, a spiritual life or a, a just quiet time, whatever you want to call it, but that internal time 
investing in yourself and, and your health emotionally is so important, yeah. but it is really neat to watch. It's fun. fun. It's fun to walk in the door. Uh, you know, some companies would see people in the hallways laughing and cutting up as a, as a time waste, but nah, for me, it's, 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 it's just, it's awesome to see people engaging that way and taking a few minutes to talk and listen and help each other and laugh. I mean, it's just a, a great place to be. Mm-hmm. Because you've cultivated a family. Yeah. And yeah. There is something about watching that and seeing it outside of you two and yeah. seeing those relationships build that is, is just so rewarding. So yeah, that, yeah. it's really, they, they, they kind of refer to it as mama Missy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's the best. So do you, hours. I love it. So Missy as a counselor, and this is going to be my last question before we talk about, and cause I know you're, you're, we're tight on time as well. I don't be respectful. So, um, but as a counselor, do you see, and this is a genuine question, because I, I feel like this is where the, the mental health side of it and uh, not really being able to separate how they, the work and personal life come together so much. Do you see that as a byproduct of the constant connectivity, right? Before, if you rewound, let's just say 15 years ago, mm-hmm. you could truly leave your work at work and you could punch out and go home because we weren't and I'm holding my phone up for everybody who can't see me, but we weren't connected by this all the time. And I think that to me, I feel like this is the reason why personal and business merge together so much now and why mental health and the workplace has really become such a topic of conversation. Yeah. Well, I think you're, the way you manage your time is, is harder because of all the connectivity, but I don't think it's any, I don't think emotional health is any, I guess, more important today than it was then because you're still working with people. You're still leading people. Um, I think it's, it's kind of like money and, you know, we all have 24 hours of time. We have to know what our priorities are. We have to know what our mission criticals at work are. And, you know, if I had, and and I did this exercise with our team, I'm actually doing it tomorrow. If I had $24 and I only, you know, just I have 24 hours in a day and I had to tell if Greg, if I'm working for Greg, you know, I'm I'm nine hours a day. I have to report to him on what I spent that time money on you know, I would want to make sure that those are mission criticals. If I'm spending, if I'm not, you know, monitoring my time well, and I'm just, you know, doing whatever, and my son comes at the end of the day and wants time and I'm out of the time or money, um, you know, picture that, you know, it's like, I don't want to do that. And so your comment about the technology, we have to know our mission criticals at work. We have to know our priorities at home and really guard that because I don't want my kids to come to me and I am on the phone on, you know, I don't have any time for them. That's not a life well lived for me. That would not be success no matter how much money or how good our building company did. If, if my, personal life is in shambles that's not success and yeah, it sounds like you know people 
there are some people who want a job. They want to work. They want a nine to five. Those aren't really your people. You want people who are passionate about what they do and want to be a part of something. And that's where the lines, there isn't like a cutoff to that because it's just in you. It's who you are. A part of how you do everything. Yeah. It's in, and you know, for some people, they think if I do my job well, if my jobs are finished within the certain amount of time that's allocated within budget, then that should be enough. It's not. It's not really enough for us, and it's not enough for the people around them. So it, if they didn't get that coming in, they'll get it sooner or later. It's just being uh, excellent at your job is just not enough. <laughs> yeah, that's Makes great. Sense. So, okay. All right. So I could spend another hour talking about this stuff because this is, this is amazing. I love it. Uh, but I do want to get into, we, because we try to keep this at an hour for our listeners, but I, I, wanted to, I do want to talk about what are those payoffs? What are those results look like? And one of our previous conversations, we talked about how you guys have done so well through the pandemic. And, and there's a lot of home building companies that have done well on a balance sheet. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, it, uh, through the pandemic, but you guys were really prepared. And, and, and one of the things that we talked about, because you had this culture of empowerment, it really shined, it really stood out and really not missing a beat during the craziness of shutdowns and everything that's going on in the world out there. I mean, is that, is that a fair statement when it comes to like how you address it, how, how you've handled as, has it been really, really bumpy? Like where we get into the investment, cause it is a massive investment in time and money into people and putting people first. And then when you really come across what could be some really tough times, how that yeah. levels itself out. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, them having a voice on a consistent basis, no pandemic helped them to be really open to having ideas on, well, let's try this, let's try this. You know, we, our Builder 20 group, some of them were doing the virtuals and they were shut down before we were. So we really geared up prior to our, our town shutting down. So we had everything virtual. Our sales team was just very, agile and nimble and they were willing to try anything really the company was willing to try anything um and i think that that creativity and that i guess autonomy here before the pandemic helped them to feel like you know this isn't working now how do i do it in a new environment and and having the freedom to do that and so just the resilience i saw in the people that normally don't like change you know, they were just, it, there was it, the team, it, it just had a, I don't know, it felt really good. We were all on the same page. We were communicating more, of course, because everybody was home. So we were checking in with them how they were doing twice a day. But um, it yeah. definitely helped just the agility and, and trying anything that could work. And it Every, worked. Everybody came to the table, yeah. um, which, which was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, um, I don't, there were a few people that were kind of scared to change, didn't know what was going to happen, but there were enough people around them to lift them up and say, Hey, we can do this. Um, we don't know what's going to happen, but we can do this. And they went into it so prepared, so agile as I love that word, 
um, that we were blown away. We have had our best year in history. Um, and we did a lot of teaching all throughout, yeah. you know, in what to over expect. Over communicate. You know, what they may be feeling like people move the furniture and, and you don't know what else, you know, where everything is. And it was like that, you know. And so we did a lot of teaching throughout that just to help normalize them and, and help them deal with the emotional side of this pandemic. Yeah. So it's been good. Um, We've learned a new way to do business. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. yeah. So um, this has been great. And I think, you know, talking to you guys, even just this short amount of time, it's very obvious that you make a great team. And I, that is a big part of what makes the culture is people that, that trickles down to every single part of the company. So um, thank you. Congratulations. And thank you for, for sharing with our audience and with us. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. I, it was one of my favorite podcasts. No offense to anybody, any other podcast we've done. This has been by far one of my favorite. Yeah. Anytime. Very good. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. And uh, this is going to be just uh, amazing information and sharing within our industry. And there's so many people that can benefit from it. And you guys, congratulations in the success that you've had, that you're having, and that we know that you're going to continue to have. So we greatly appreciate you coming on and, uh, and sharing with us. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. Nice meeting you. Awesome. Hey, you too, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah.